And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith, and we will be talking with Keith Baldry in just a moment. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in Whitehorse talking about those unidentified objects, taking questions about the search for debris in Yukon after uh, one of those objects was uh, shot down over the weekend and talking about what this all means. Of course, it's going to have more implications for trade talks and relations with China, both at the federal and provincial levels. This is where we bring in Keith Baldry, our Global News Legislative Bureau Chief. Good morning and happy Monday, Keith. Yeah, happy Monday to you too, Bruce. Well, there we go. Um, you know, uh, this, I guess, after all the dust settles, we're probably going to find out and get confirmation these objects were all from uh, from China. Um, what is this going to mean at uh, the federal and provincial levels for our country? Well, you know, who who had Chinese weather balloons on their bingo card uh, early in the new year? Yeah. Of, uh, just this, this came out of nowhere. You know, China presents an interesting challenge when it comes to trade for both B.C. and uh, the federal government because the decision was made some time ago, years ago, to shift a lot of priorities when it came to trade away from the U.S. and Europe and to focus on Asia. That Asia was the emerging markets, which included China, of course, being the biggest market of them all. But <clears throat> recent years with human rights uh, issues and, and totalitarian regime issues, it's presented a, a different type of a challenge. So the throne speech last week mentioned an increase in trade missions. And historically, trade missions, trade missions have included visits to China. And it's going to be interesting to see in the coming year whether the government, uh, both federally and provincially, uh, do conduct a trade mission to China or whether China suddenly is now or is going to be a no-go zone. Uh, and this weather balloon incident, or whether the weather balloons or whatever they are, uh, further muddies the already cloudy picture when it comes to trade relationships between B.C. and China and um, and the federal government of China. You know, just pick an issue like electronic vehicles, uh, electric vehicles. Well, lithium, much of the, the batteries for electric vehicles are processed in China, manufactured in China. So, China, you can't really elbow China out of the trade equation 100%. It's always going to be there, but it continues to be a vexing problem, I think, for politicians. It's going to be interesting, I think, Keith, uh, because we've got the federal equation and the provincial equation uh, and how they handle and perhaps are going to be in sync, one would hope, uh, how they're going to handle China. But when it comes to the U.S., do you think there's a possibility that Canada might go in a different direction in terms of trade than the United States? Oh, I think there's always that possibility. I'm not an expert in international trade, but um, the Biden administration and any U.S. administration sometimes has a different view of trade than their counterparts around the world. Just pick a, a recent development, which is quite worrisome, actually, when it comes to trade, is the Biden administration's uh, decision to only include or to exclude foreign lumber from uh, federal government infrastructure projects. So that cuts BC's uh, lumber industry out of the picture in the states when it comes to uh, being used to uh, build federal infrastructure projects. That's a big thing. The various US or Canadian lumber associations have really expressed concern about this. But historically, the Democrats have always been much more protectionist than Republicans. For all the odious ills associated with the Trump regime and such, there is a downside to the Biden and the Democrats. Historically, they favor protectionist 
policies that exclude foreign manufacturers in a number of areas. And that's, that's historically always been a source of tension between B.C. in particular and, um, and the federal government of the United States. You know, for years, the B.C. lumber industry's worst enemy was a Democrat senator from Montana named Max Backus. Yeah. Uh, who just was leading the charge against the soft, for the softwood tariffs, and that, it was just an ongoing fight with a Democrat, not a Republican. So, uh, the trade picture with the Biden administration has become murkier and a little more worrisome with this announcement that uh, they're going U.S. only when it comes to wood. Well, that's going to be interesting to see in the year ahead, and I imagine this is going to play out on multiple fronts. Um, let's shift pace a little bit to the more local scene. Uh, a federal funding announcement for Chinatown today. What's this about? Yeah, International Development Minister Har- Harjit Sejan is in town for a funding announcement for Chinatown. Um, not entirely sure what it's going to be. It's uh, The feds up until now have been interested in things like Granville Island rather than Chinatown. But Chinatown, of course, is very much in the news in recent uh, months, if not the last couple of years, with a uh, huge amount of vandalism that occurs down there, racist incidents. Uh, Chinatown is a very valuable historical part of Vancouver. Uh, it's faced its challenges before. You go back to the 1970s when then city council was proposing putting a freeway through Chinatown and basically raising this historical part of the city. That thankfully didn't happen. But now it's at another crisis point with the twin problems of vandalism, decay, and racism. And it'll be interesting to see what the feds come up with or come through with when it comes to funding. I have a feeling it's probably going to be significant given that a minister, a federal minister, is actually in town to deliver the goods. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it being Monday, what's ahead? What's on the uh, the scope for, uh, for this week in Victoria? Well, it's going to be another busy week. We've got... Um, the House in session again. It's uh, the, the Liberals have been focusing on health care and mental health uh, the last week. I expect them to continue on those fronts in question period. Uh, we expect some legislation to come forth uh, from uh, excuse me from the uh, government. The government's expecting about 25 bills to be tabled uh, in this legislature. We've seen a handful of them so far. Uh, nothing really substantive yet. But that's going to start beginning in earnest. But I know uh, the week ended last week, Bruce, with despite all the controversy swirling out there and the Liberals sort of beating the NDP government over the head in question period uh, last week and in the fall session, two, two opinion polls from Research Co. and Leger, um, great news for the government, just showing there's still a significant gap between the NDP and the Liberals in favor of the NDP when it comes to voter preference. And more interesting, a lot of us had expressed doubts that David Eby could achieve the same lofty levels of approval ratings that John Horgan did for so long. And sure enough, both polls gave John, uh, gave David Eby very high marks in his first months on the job on a number of issues and overall approval ratings. So that's going to be a bit discouraging for the Liberals. But the next election, I still don't think, is, is not until the fall of 2024, 20, unless Eby goes early. I don't think he will. But uh, the NDP right now have to be liking what they see when it comes to these public, this measurement of public opinion out there, even though we're at the beginning of the session. And those numbers may change as we go through this session and the Liberals relentlessly 
bring issues like public safety, health care, mental health, the opioid crisis, and housing and affordability to the fore on a daily basis. Yeah, I was surprised to see those numbers, and I would imagine David Eby uh, probably was a little bit surprised himself. Um, certainly a, a big uh, thumbs up uh, or a big uh, exhale from him to uh, some degree. John Horgan was very popular. Um, yep. So that's that's good. Or or the other way of looking at it, Keith, and I wonder if this is more the uh, the play here, is it that um, we're having some problems with Kevin Falcon? Well, I mean, any opposition leader has a real challenge, uh, and not the least of which is to be heard and to be recognized and to be known. And that's the challenge Kevin Falcon has, is that I think most people don't know him, but he did get, he got low marks in the Leger poll, only 31% approval, but in the in the uh, research co pool, uh, research co poll, he scored 44% approval, which is actually up eight points. So I think the jury's still out on Falcon. But like I say, a new opposition leader who hasn't really been tested has a challenge just getting known to people. And it takes some time to do that. And I think um, Falcon is slowly making some ground on that. But interesting, Research Coal asked their respondents, poll respondents, their views on eight different issues, stacking up the leaders. And EB came out ahead on all eight issues. And on five of them, he came out substantially ahead of Falcon, including the issue of health care and housing and affordability. It was actually no contest. So, um, yeah, I think the Liberals have their work cut out for them. The NDP, the voters right now seem to be in a very forgiving mood provincially, not necessarily municipality-wise, as we saw in the last municipal elections. But provincially right now, public opinion is, is sort of baked in, and it's in favor of the government and the NDP and not in favor of the Liberals right now. But like I say, the next election is still a ways off. That could change. Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. Uh, just before the break, we were talking with Keith Baldry in Baldry's Beat. Keith, the Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, and talking about those polls that show that David Eby is uh, holding on to popularity for the NDP. Uh, one of those, Keith, uh, you mentioned it, had eight different questions, and um, be curious to hear what uh, maybe some of our callers say about this, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. But, uh, Keith, uh, eight different questions, and uh, those questions all had David Eby outperforming Kevin Falcon. Yeah, those are the hot-button issues. So this is Research Co. asking um, questions on the eight issues, how they view the leaders. And EB came out ahead on all eight, uh, in some, in three of them, uh, of sort of small percentage um, win over Kevin Falcon's four to six points on, but even on crime and public safety, EB is tracking ahead of Falcon, uh, economy and jobs as well. But in terms of other issues, particularly healthcare and housing affordability, the approval rating between the two is quite large. It goes from 13 to 19 percentage points in favor of EB. So. That's, um, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming, that Evie would just sort of seamlessly sort of follow along or follow through with Horgan's lofty levels of approval. Uh, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. We talked a little bit about this uh, some weeks ago when it was closer to the municipal elections. And certainly back in the fall, there was that uh, feeling of really wanting to punish any politician. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you kind of hinted at that. Things have uh, certainly changed. Um, what's the vibe? What, what do you think's going on here? 
You know, that's a good question. Is this is this is this a sign as you mentioned before? Is this a sign of of you know entrenched support for the NDP or just a complete turnoff for the BC Liberals? I mean, is it is is one side favored that much, and is the other side? not favored that much. And I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that question. Um, there's been speculation Evie's going to call an election sooner than the fixed election date. I don't buy that on, for a couple of things, even though these polls suggest that, hey, why not roll the dice and you know it, it's going to come up looking pretty good for you. Uh, there's a budget coming on February 28th, which is, I don't think is going to be, it's not an election budget. There's not going to be a lot of spending goodies in there. They're on a spending spree right now, the government is, but that's with money in the current fiscal year, which had an unexpected um, windfall uh, in terms of a surplus because of some restated income tax information from Ottawa, which really translated into billions of dollars in extra revenue for the government in this fiscal year. That's not going to be there in the next fiscal year, which begins April 1st. So the next budget coming down in just a couple weeks on February 28th is not an election budget, traditional election budget. It's not going to have a lot of goodies in it. So that's not something he's going to take in, t- in front of the electorate. Um, and again, everybody, I've never, not talked to anyone in government who's talking election. The only people talking about election are from, uh, voices in the media and the and the opposition, uh, which I think is basically done for fundraising purposes because it can be effective to raise money. Say, hey, we were on the eve of a of an election campaign. But even though these numbers are very rosy uh, for EB and the government, I still think they'd be wise to wait because I still wouldn't go near the electorate right now. Well, the <laughs> other interesting. Thing, Keith is uh, we still haven't got that full rebrand for the Liberals with no. a party name change. Uh, where do we stand with that now? Yeah, you know they they're they're taking their time on this. Uh, they expect to have the name change by next year, but um, they're I think it's a dangerous thing to do because the Liberals won a number of elections with the name BC Liberals, but they're worried I think about the emergence of the B.C. Conservative Party, which still has, you know, had lofty numbers in the Leger poll, but very small numbers in the Research Co. poll. But all it takes is for the Conservatives to have a big impact is just to win enough votes in some key writings, as they did in 2020 in the Fraser Valley, that gives turns an NDP win into a big NDP win, a significant majority. So I think that's part of the rebranding here is they want to get rid of the name Liberal because they think it turns off potential Conservative-minded folks. But as we all know in media, rebranding takes time. It doesn't occur overnight. It's, it takes, in some cases, years. We used to be called BCTV back yeah. in the day. Well, it took us a couple, two, three years to make the transition from BCTV to global. And now global is a huge, effective brand entrenched. But it took a couple years there to wean people off the BCTV name into global. And the liberals face the same challenge. You just can't flick a switch here and go from BC Liberals to BC United and take the same group of voters with you. So that adds some some potential confusion and, um, and challenge to a situation that's already challenging for the BC Liberals in terms of being competitive with the NDP. Well, I imagine it's also wanting to uh, keep the uh, base you already have and uh, bring some others over to your side. Mm-hmm. That's the only uh, route to an election win, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, the, um, the the 2017 and 2020 election were either historic or just one-timers in terms of a shift in some of the voting patterns we've seen in B.C. And again, one of the challenges for the Liberals in that research co-poll, it, they broke it down regionally, which has a higher margin of error when you have a smaller sample, no question. But the, NDP, the, the, the uh, research co-poll gave the NDP a significant lead of support in the Fraser Valley, 
which traditionally is the heartland of B.C. liberal support, and before then the Social Credit Party. And now suddenly the NDP is the party of choice in the Fraser Valley. <clears throat> That's very troubling for the liberals. Sure is. Keith, always a pleasure. Thanks right. so much for joining us. Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief.